Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, healthcare humans. Um, So this week I have um, a bit of a different episode for you. Uh, Earlier today, actually, when I'm recording this, I gave a presentation for my local um, healthcare community about patient forms. I know I have given you sort of an off-the-cuff riff about uh, patient forms before, and I wanted to flesh that out a bit more. And so um, I am wanting to just... uh, offer you the audio of the webinar that I gave to them. Um, I hope you find some good tips in there. I hope you find a framework that's more um, human and in service of you and therefore also your patients for addressing forms. If you like seeing the visual, I do have all of my podcasts, um, all of my formal podcasts are uploaded on YouTube anyway. And this one, you know, includes the slides and that sort of thing. So um, you can always... Um, head to my website. And uh, that's my Zoom reminder. I've got to get to my next call. So I'm going to go do that. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a great week. And I hope that listening to this talk will give you a little more support in making your work in healthcare human when your work in healthcare includes patient forms. Okay, bye. go. I want to say good morning to everybody here live as though, as well as those who watch later. Thank you so much for coming back for another gem session. Um, uh, yeah, I am the speaker today, but before I get started, I would like to acknowledge that, um, those of us who are zooming in, live in and work in, in the Guelph Wellington region, are doing so as uninvited settlers on the ancestral lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples, um, as well as they're just acknowledging the treaty that exists on those lands, which is Treaty 3 with the Mississaugas of the New Credit. Um, I myself um, zoom in for my home, which is in what is now called Cambridge, um, which is actually also Treaty 4 lands as part of the Haldeman Tract. So, um, yeah. I think it's always important to acknowledge both our history and the current state of how we as humans are trying to figure out how to live together um, in ways that are humanity honoring. Um, And that's the framework I want to use in this talk today, which um, is about patient forms, which seems maybe really dry, maybe really nobody's the reason that anyone signed up to be in healthcare, um, I don't think anyone said on, say, their medical school applications, if you happen to be a physician, um, hey, the reason I want to get into medicine is I want to write disability tax credit forms all day, right? It's, uh, for many of us, an unpleasant side effect of our work. It also is um, pretty potent sort of advocacy and um, equity work in a way, in that 
a lot of the ways that um, things get decided, who gets approved or not approved in terms of whose disabilities count. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of, I, I witnessed how patients of mine, uh, depending on their workplace, depending on the kinds of policies that their workplace funds or doesn't fund, um, they often interestingly correlate those that have higher income often have more robust benefit plans, which in some ways makes sense, but also then creates this inequity of that those that are may actually benefit and actually have more need financially to have some stability because their pay day to day is just enough to get by, especially with cost of living being what it is. Those are actually the lower likelihood of getting approved or often those insurance companies are the ones that give them a harder time for things. And it's just sort of this equity issue, right? So um, that can feel really heavy and hard. And I think in my experience, at least is one of the reasons um, I still don't have like fully calm and clean feelings about patient forms per se is because I noticed some injustice creeping in there. And it's also why I think it's really important to pool our ideas and share with each other how we keep our brains on. So I'd originally titled this the sanity saving approach, but it's also kind of our humanity saving approach. How can we keep our human connected to our humanity as we're doing something as dry and, and sometimes really almost like a moral distress thing um, when that we may experience while we're, we're completing patient forms. So as always, I want to share what I know, but especially this time, I am very interested in what others um are doing because I don't think I have the ultimate answer that's the magic solution. I just want to share some things I have tried and found to be useful. Um, so just as a start, I wanted to share the way that this presentation is framed. And actually, it's a framework I use in a lot of my um, restorative educational work. Um, it's a little model that I've devised, um, which is this is how I have learned, even in my personal life and as I learn more myself, that I have these three components I need to address in order to actually integrate a new concept, integrate something new that I'm learning into my life. The first is on the lower left there that like investigating your inhuman conditioning that should read. So that a lot of the reasons it can be hard to learn a new thing is not actually because the thing is hard to learn, but because we have inhuman stories, as I like to call them. So we have stories, beliefs, messages that we've received from our past that disconnect us from our humanity um, and that make it harder to learn something. So that's sort of the first step is identifying those stories. The second step then is really centering what is, the truth is, the, the truth of our humanity and centering that. And then out of that centered space, then we start to embody new possibilities, which is where we conduct experiments, we try new things, and we learn what works best for us when we're grounded in our own humanity. And all of that may sound very like fancy and heady. I just want to give you a couple examples related to time management, which forms have to do with, of course, just to sort of illustrate it a bit more. So a lot of us have received the message um, from society and from various people that procrastination is a sign of laziness, right? Um, but, you know, looking at like what we even mean by procrastination, what that concept means, really the more like human authentic, like the, the truth of it is that the reason that our bodies invite us to not do something is protective. That's actually the reason that our bodies 
invite us to do anything. <laughs> so if we're really wanting to avoid a certain task, it's usually because our body is afraid of how we will feel while we're doing the task. And I see this a lot, especially with forms. I've worked with some like healthcare coaching clients where their forms are piling up because um, they feel so, so terrible when they do the forms. Um, especially if they have quite a pile of forms, a lot of those forms were supposed to be due weeks or months ago. Now, the reason that they find it so difficult to reopen a form and start doing it is because they're afraid of the shame they will feel of how much they've already quote unquote failed because the form isn't completed yet. You see how that sort of a vicious cycle that leads to more procrastination. But if we understand that what's happening when our body's saying, I don't want to do that thing, it's going to feel terrible. It's I'm going to feel the shame of having not completed this form already. And my brain's going to beat me up for not completing this form. Of course, you don't want to do it then. Why would anyone want to do it, right? So if we know that, then we can kind of conduct experiments and embody a new way of understanding why our brain wants us not to do it. How can we prioritize things that feel good to us? How can we find ways for forms to feel restful and good? That might seem wild, but knowing how our body and brain works, knowing what actually motivates us are like animal forms of being human beings with human bodies has been extremely helpful for me to actually become more productive because I now know Listen, it's going to feel a lot better if I'm doing a form when I'm rested and I'm I have delicious snacks or like what do I have to reward myself with to get this less pleasant task down? How do I need to calm and soothe my body through the shame it may feel as I'm trying to complete this form? Then I'm actually able to complete the form, right? So that's just one example. I have some others listed there. So things like that multitasking is efficient. That's a lie that we've learned when really our brain works best focused on one task at a time start to finish. Um, we've learned the 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 lie that it's selfish to prior sorry it's selfish it's selfish to prioritize our needs above others that should read versus really if we are doing focus work we're doing one thing at a time um, that's an act of self care and patient care so just some ways of restoring and so that's what the frame I'm using and I want to identify therefore as a start. What are some of the inhuman conditioning, inhuman stories we have learned about patient forms? What is it that's living in it, living in us that makes forms so difficult? So I'm I've listed a few here that I have personally noticed run in my brain when I'm trying to complete forms. Um, and I would invite anyone who's here live just to ask yourself, maybe in human stories is sort of a funny way to frame it, but just for you, like what makes you hate forms? What do you hate about forms? What makes forms feel hard? Because the thing is like, when we move to the next step and break down what forms really are, they are not the highest and most complex tasks we do in medicine, really. Like we do really complex, nuanced thinking and putting together multiple pieces of a puzzle to try and come up with a diagnosis. Writing down some words on a form isn't actually the most complex thinking we do. And yet for a lot of us, it feels so hard. So if anyone feels comfortable, like please feel free to share in the chat, like what makes forms feel hard for you? And I'm gonna read some of the ones that I have experienced that I know others um, in healthcare have experienced because I have lots of conversations about forms with people because it's something that really burns people out, right? So one of the stories that a lot of us carry is that we are responsible for whether the patient gets approved. 
like I was saying, like, especially if we kind of view it as this, this equity issue, you know, for, and we see this patient, like the patient's coming to us and being like, I'm not gonna be able to make rent. I'm not gonna be able to feed my kids. If this form doesn't, I can't work. And WSIB is denying my claim. Please, you have to help me. And then, and, and it doesn't help. Like we're not making these stories up for ourselves. They're handed to us. I can't so many times when I see particular WSIB, but like other insurance companies too, they deny the person's claim. And they say the reason that they deny the claim is because the doctor didn't write enough information. So they're just handing it to us. They're handing the blame to us as if they're not actually the ones who just decide if someone gets paid or not. Right. So then that can make us feel this heaviness of responsibility of, oh my gosh, I guess I have to include even more details next time. How do I make sure it's so hyper detailed that no one will ever be denied a disability claim? And we have this heavy responsibility that makes forms feel really heavy, right? Another one, it's almost the flip. I see it a lot where um, either with learners or people are not learners and they're like, my big thing that I get stressed about forms is like, I see someone and I'm like trying to decide if they qualify or not. And so we have this sense that we need to be a qualifying frame. We have to decide before the insurance company decides. And when I say insurance company, I also mean like the government, right? Like whichever kind of form we're filling out. So the there's there's the body that's asking us to do this form so they can decide if this person qualifies for disability. But we have a sense that we also have to be a filter and decide and be a gatekeeper about if this person qualifies. And we get all tangled up if we're like, but is this real or is this uh, disabled enough, right? And so it adds extra cognitive and emotional load to us as we're trying to fill out this form. Another, in my opinion, inhuman story that makes forms way harder than they have to be. Yeah. Uh, one that I still struggle with is that it's a waste of time, to be honest, <laughs> especially when I, uh, it's like the third appeal of something and you're just like, just give the person some money. They just want to live, you know, so that one I still struggle with. And so if you struggle with it too, you're not alone. <laughs> you're another human in the world. Um, because it's not our favorite. So trying to find a frame so that because if you're thinking and believing that this thing is a waste of time, the problem with it is when our brains register something as a waste of time, what we feel in our body is usually a lot of resistance because our body doesn't want to waste our own time. And so then the form takes triple the amount of time. Now we're checking our phone. Now we're getting five more snacks. Now we're going to go do the laundry instead of doing the form. And what do we end up doing? We end up wasting more of our time versus like getting it done, you know? So that's a sneaky one, but also can slow us down. Um, another really potent one, and this one often patients want to hand to us. They're like, you, I need, I'm dropping this form off this morning. They like yell at our receptionist and they're like, this has to be done by today. It has to be done yesterday, right? And it's like, this is an emergency. You have to fill this form out. And it's, and we can just take on that responsibility and being like, oh my gosh, otherwise the patient will be mad at me. Or even beyond that, like they have to have it done today and otherwise they'll be on the streets. Like they will be, I will be personally responsible for their financial situation unless I fill this out form out right away. And so we get this like sense of urgency about forms, right? And then urgency about forms, then there's all this stress. We're not doing our highest thinking. We're not thinking clearly. And 
then it takes longer. Plus, we were probably planning on doing something else today. So, right, we're distracted by the other tasks that are actually our priority. We're trying to take on a patient's priority, thinking because they've said it's an emergency, we have to make it an emergency. Otherwise, we're not a good doctor. We're not kind. We're not compassionate. You know, we have to take on our patient's emergencies as our own in this way, where it's like, this is a forum emergency. Yeah. Ugh, that one's tough. It feels, I, I don't know if reading these, you feel them in your body the way I do, but I really do. Um, another one, I'm a bad doctor if I charge for forms and I'm a bad doctor if I don't charge for forms. Do you notice that? That really, depending on your socialization, you kind of can't win. Like you feel guilty for charging for forms. You're like, can they really afford it? But then also you're like, if I don't charge for forms, I feel resentful. And also that means like, I'm not a good business person or like other doctors will judge me if I tell them I don't charge forms. I'm like not, you know, holding a consistent front on behalf of all clinicians who are charging for forms. I want to recognize a, a lot of these are more physician specific, but I um, know also say like nurse practitioners, certainly complete forms, other people who complete forms. I'm actually curious if you have different stories because your role in healthcare is slightly different. Um, and you probably have other reasons why it's stressful to fill out forms. And I would love to hear from you if you want to share, say in the chat. Um, and then the last one I thought of was, I resent this person from getting paid time off work when I don't. That one I added later because I'd had some conversations with folks in healthcare and like that, that was one of the reasons when you're hearing this person and they're so like, no, I can't, I can't go to this job anymore because of how I'm feeling. They won't give me breaks. They won't, I'm, I, you know, I have to stay there 12 hours at a time. I can't take any time off or whatever. Right. And you're in your head being like, that sounds like my life. You know, <laughs> I wish someone, I wish someone would fill out a form for me. Right. And so then that drains us because we're getting resentful and almost jealous of our patients, envious of our patients. Right. So those are some of the stories I have thought of, some of the things that make forms feel super heavy, super unattractive, unappealing. And there's something about just really naming that though that's what's going on, that it's the stories on top of the piece of paper that's the form, not necessarily the form itself, that makes it hard, right? And we have to give space for those stories to be named so that then we can shift away from them and find a more human-centered way of just getting these forms off our plate because this is what's burning us out and it's not that these aren't valid in some way I I just we there's always multiple ways you can tell a story about the same situation and just like practically speaking finding a story to tell yourself about forms so that they are off your plate as quickly as possible leaves you time and energy and space for things you actually would prefer to do in your job or outside your job, you know, like seeing your family and, you know, being outside. So that's sort of the whole objective of releasing some of these old stories. I'm just going to check. Okay. Looks like no one else wanted to share some other form stories. If you think of one later, one I haven't mentioned, please put it in the chat. I would love to know if you relate to the ones I shared and if you have extras that are like, no, no, those aren't really the ones. This is why I hate forms, you know? So once we've named those sort of inhuman stories that are clouding our ability to just get our harm forms done, now I'm, I'm going to offer you more human-centered stories that may serve you better. So all of these stories I'm about to share only take on the ones 
that you find helpful. So if you're like, no, that also still stresses me out. Like, don't take it on. And when I say take it on, practically speaking, like say something I say, you're like, oh, I really like thinking of forms that way. When I think of forms that way, I feel in my body like calmer or I feel more motivated. I can see where if I was thinking that story while I was doing a form, I would get it done faster. Like, feel free to, I'm going to share the slides, like screenshot or write on a post-it, like put it up somewhere, what it is that you, the ones you like to remind yourself and like repeat to yourself when you're doing forms. I do see um, there are way too many forms from too many places. It becomes impossible to do it all. Oh, that's such a good one. Like that overwhelm where we're, our brains are picturing the our brains are like picturing the pile and then are perceiving it like we have to complete them all at once. Hey, Anne-Marie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what emotion do you feel when you're like, there's too many, it's impossible oh, to do them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just total overwhelm and shut down. And then we yeah. don't do any of that, right? <laughs> One thing I would offer for that actually, because I don't think I addressed it in this like, centering your humanity thing is um, it, this is true of any like to-do list overwhelm. When we think of all the tasks that we, that if we just like list all the tasks we have to do in a row, what happens in our bodies is our body thinks, oh, we're doing them all right now. Like our bodies only exist in this place and time. So if we invite our brain and body to think of one task at a time and yeah, the rest of them are for the future. They're not ours yet, but we really actually just focus on one task at a time. That's all we can literally do anyway. Focus, it's like mindfulness, right? We focus in on it, we get it done, we move it on to the next. So I actually repeat to myself, like, those forms aren't mine yet because they're not in front of me. They will, once they are in front of me, they are mine. Until then, they are not, in case that helps. Um, Another one, my favorite... Sam, my favorite major stress with forms is the conflation of I hate my job boss and I have a mental health disorder. There's also a lot of I have previously undiscussed issue that is disabling that I don't want to talk about manage in other ways other than not working forever. Mm, yes. Total stress, which I can reduce if I charge a reasonable amount for them. Yes. Very good, Anna as well. Okay. Beautiful. Yes, Sam. Like I think this is a common one. And I like the thing I'll offer is I think we're all going to find our our way of um, addressing this for ourselves. There isn't one right way to kind of shift this. And then the thing I'm inviting all of us to do is if we if we find ourselves being stressed about forms and we notice that that makes it harder to complete the forms, which means we're just hanging out with the thing we hate for longer. Some it seems backwards, but reducing the stressful story we're telling ourselves up front then leads to forms being less stressful, which means we get them done faster. It's this interesting thing that's just true. I have found it so many times. And so one thing, so I I will just share the frame that I am practicing using is just um, completely believe in the patient, including when they say that their workplace is toxic in some way, including if they are really stressed about work and knowing that we do technically have a medical diagnosis we can apply in that case, which is adjustment disorder. I know not all insurance companies like it or take it. It definitely don't try and apply for WSIB if they have a jerk of a boss. We know what happens there, right? So it's not about that they will all be approved. Um, 
I just, one of the things I'm about to share is that I hand the responsibility of who actually gets disability to the people who are actually making the final decision anyway, which is the insurance companies. And so here, actually, why don't I share my like stories and then you can see what you think about them. And I'd love to have like a conversation about it. So the first one is forms are reporting the news. Forms are not a time for any new thinking. When I am writing a form, I am not using my clinical brain other than to know like what clinical words I want to say. Often we think we have to do some adjudication about it, but what we can do, you know, we see the patient, they say, I can't work. And here's why we listen to it. We listen and say, okay, what could this possibly be? What diagnosis could apply here? What makes sense? What's my working diagnosis? What are they saying? Are there functional um, impairments? They can't walk, they can't think, they can't focus, they can't sleep, they have no energy. Like, what are the things? And I listen to all of that. And then I write that on the form. Um, If I listen to that and there's literally nothing, I wouldn't write on If they're like, I feel totally fine. I just truly don't want to work. I wouldn't write that on a form or maybe I would be like patient doesn't want to work like I'm not sure if that's ever happened instead often it's the the ones that feel kind of gray for us are the ones where you're like it seems like you're having trouble coping at work and you want to be off the way I deal with that is the way I deal with I think about it like other kinds of workplace related stressors like someone who has maybe underlying issues or they're having issues with sleep. And part of it is that they're on shift work, but it is meaning that they literally can't focus. It is meaning that their, their memory is impaired. It's meaning that their mood is fluctuating in ways that make it not safe for them to continue to do their job, right? Or more likely to make mistakes. Well, we can name that and put that on the form. And then it's up to the insurance company if they think that qualifies for that particular policy or not. So by removing the stage where I have to think about if it will qualify or not, I'm not doing any new thinking. I am reporting the news. I'm reporting the news of what they've said to me and I'm putting it on the form. And that's not, that's all I'm doing anyway. It is not actually my responsibility I, there's tons of times, I don't know if you've noticed, there's tons of times I will like see this patient and be like, oh my gosh, they have these different conditions and how could they possibly work? And I do so much detail and I really go in and that's great. I feel good about that. And then they get denied. And then there's other ones where I'm like, yikes, there's no way they're getting approved for this. I do the bare minimum and then they do get approved. Like, have you noticed that? And it's not to a person, but just it's clearly not in my hands if these people are going to get approved or not. Because even when I try and guess, it's a real surprise. Like, especially things like disability tax credits, it's just not for me to know. And so when I take on that responsibility, it increases my stress. When I release that responsibility, it lets go of my stress. And so that is worth, I would invite you to consider that where you're just reporting the news. Oops, sorry. That went backwards instead of forwards. Oh dear. Hold on. I'm using Canva and it's all fancy, but it means that, uh, okay, here, I'm going to go down here and then that won't happen again. Apologies if this makes you a little nauseated as this goes through. So that's that, the first story. Here's some others that try them on and like think about them in your head um, and see if they feel more or less stressful for you. And that's how you'll know if they're useful for you or not, right? 
Um, one can be you're speak you're playing the role of an advocate, as in that you're speaking on behalf of your patient, but you're not actually responsible for the inhumane or arbitrary criteria of the insurance companies or workplaces, right? Um, do you write lots of patient reports? I do write patient reports, but I also don't because really like when you think about when they have that subjective box and its symptoms, inherent in that is that patient's reporting. I I also have a frame of just like choosing to believe that the things that my patients are telling me are true or true, understanding that there's some that are consciously lying to me probably, but that overall if I'm not feeling like I have to figure out who's lying to me or not, which then dis disconnects me from my patients, my brain, my job gets a lot easier. My brain gets a lot calmer. The ones that are lying may at some point trust me enough to tell me that they're lying. And everyone else doesn't get sort of the harm of being disbelieved when they're telling me the truth, you know? So, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying is to disbelieve, but I'm just sort of shit saying how that frame is. So that makes me think I don't need to say patient reports because actually the S of our soap is patient reports. That's what they're, that all is what their symptoms. So you could put that if that makes it feel clearer for your brain of just like, I want to write patient reports, or you can just say what the patient's reporting to you, which is what subject, the subjective line is anyway. That is like a personal, it's like a style thing. And I kind of like either. It, it, it can make it really clear, like, hey, this is how, this is what the patient reported to me. And I'm just reporting it to you. If that helps you, helps you kind of detach from feeling responsible for having to say it was true or not true. Because what do we mean when we say, oh, this person's depression is true enough versus another? And we like, I know we use scales, but the patient can choose how they scale themselves truthfully or not anyway, right? Like this stuff is subjective. It just is. And so if we kind of just acknowledge that and say, so everything that's going in here is what the patient's telling me perfect. I'm not going to write that I heard crackles in their lung if I didn't. You know, that part, of course, I, that's like my reporting. My subjective experience of the patient is what goes in objective, right? So um, that's how I would think about that, Sam. Um, here's another one. Uh, oh, this is what I've already said. I realize I've said the same thing three times. Basically, you never have to be the gatekeeper if you don't want. If you love being the gatekeeper, if being the gatekeeper does not bring you stress, it brings you joy. I'm not here to tell you otherwise. But for me, it was stressful. I was wrong a lot of the times trying to guess who who has was going to be qualified and who didn't, right? So those are a few. I'm seeing a lot of um, chat action now. And so I am going to dive in and make sure I'm not missing anything. And then I'll get back to my slides here. Um, agreeing with all my points. Thank you, Miriam. I find some forms ask for such picky information that it is a labor to finish. And I need to book an appointment just to finish a form. Yes. And that's actually, I mean, that's a strategy. I think all, a lot of us sort of play around with is with which forms need to be an appointment and which forms don't. Um, picky information. I love that terminology. So one of the things I'm going to say later in this is like, how much of this does it make sense for the patient to answer for us? They have their life. They have their lived experience. How much can we ask our patient to co-complete this form with us? So like the ones where you like the ODSB questionnaires, like I've been experimenting with a variety of ways actually of having the patient complete that part, you, you know, where it's like the one to four scales whether I've done it where I'm in the room with the patient and I'm asking the questions and checking it off. I've done ones where I've emailed like the ocean questionnaire to them 
And and I've also experienced, I've also experimented with having a staff member, like a nurse call them sort of as like a phone appointment and go through the questions with them. So I've been experimenting with different ways, knowing that's going, I'm not going to try and figure out just based on my guessing if the patient, how much trouble the patient has getting dressed. Like I need the patient to be actively telling me all that information, you know? Um, Shannon, I really hate disability tax credit forms. Oh, this time of year, right? The accountant tells them and you're like, this person, I don't even have a medical diagnosis for this person. <laughs> Sometimes that's not as common, but, uh, yes, that, that is one where I do at least let them know, like we go through the categories because they have to pay for it and that's fine. They can pay for it. But like, I go through the categories and say, you know, do you actually think that you qualify? Because sometimes they haven't even read the form. So if they haven't, which happens a lot. So it's like going through and saying, so if you read the form and you notice that it's about like severe impairment of walking, severe impairment of mental function, severe impairment of these, like does your well-treated diabetes, do you feel like it is in any way actually like impairing your life and would fit in these? And a lot of times actually patients are like, oh no, I don't know. The account just told me to do it. And so then- maybe I actually don't do that form. But if they insist, I report the news, I charge the fee, and I feel clean in that I've at least done the service that my patient asked me to do to the best of my ability without taking any ownership if they actually qualify or not, you know? I have trouble completing any activities of daily living report. It requires an OT assessment. Yeah, the idea that we would know, like, do am I going to follow them around and see how well they do stairs? Like, it's actually very strange in our system that we are asked to do this without actually having any kind of full training. And like that the full training would include like pretty in-depth assessment of like grip strength and stuff. Like you're, anytime I write five, this patient's limited to five or 10 pounds, I will confess to all of you. I know this is being recorded, but like, I am making it up. I asked the patient, do you think you could write five pounds? That's my assessment. I don't have anything else to go on. I feel clean about that because I actually really believe that patients are excellent assessors of their own capacity, um, including if they have, um, if they are fearful of doing something that that counts in, in terms of their the safety of them doing that thing, you know? So, um, but I hear you, Anne-Marie, I, I think you're right. They, I, One of my like dreams is that all these insurance companies and stuff realize they are asking the wrong people to do these tests and they like employ, like there would be a center you go to where you'd like get some little assessment done and they all complete the forms. And we imagine how free our schedules would be if we didn't have to do these at all. I can't spend too much time there because I don't want to resist reality because it just equals my suffering. But I do dream, I just like indulge in a little daydream about, about a day where they figure out that they're asking the wrong people to do their jobs. Oh my goodness. Um, ooh, and so Melanie has, yes, this is so great. So this is actually one of the strategies I haven't tried yet, but I am interested in in trying. So Melanie's saying with disability tax credit forms, if she if she has a patient that is is uh capable she tells them to print two copies a blank one for you for her as a doctor and then one that they will fill in to guide to guide her and then you tell them like if you can't meet the criteria when they try and fill it out then you won't be able to qualify them that's genius that's so i love that so much right and you know being of course say they have language barriers or some other thing but especially for those where you're kind of sensing probably when they do the exercise themselves, they'll realize like, oh, I couldn't really write anything. Then 
that saves you some time and gives them some insight about, and you can kind of reframe it as like, look at your capacity. I know you have things that are, you have symptoms and diagnoses that do trouble you, but um, if anything, it can be sort of a flip empowering thing where you realize um, according to these arbitrary standards of disability, you don't qualify. And so if you look at the opposite of that, look at what you are capable of doing in your life, right? I, maybe that's too much of a stretch, but maybe someone would find that helpful. Um, Kevin, for forms which have uh, questions about functional abilities, I often give the patient a copy and ask them to fill it out first. Okay, see, we all got to get on this strategy. This is such a good strategy. And um, complete and sign the authorization for me. Yes. So this one, we've actually made like a, a, a policy in our office. So if the patient drops off a completely blank form where they haven't even filled out their name and they haven't filled out the like permission, the staff will like stop them if they try and drop it off. But if they email it in, they email it back and say, please fill out and sign that part before we do our part. So some of these, especially if like we can ask our patients to be part of this flow, they are motivated for us to get this form done. It is for their benefit, right? So Yes, I now don't. Yes, Beth, I don't start any forms until the patient has finished their part. Don't work harder than the patient. Yes. And I think a lot of us are like, oh, that's not nice or something, but it is it is kind to us and it's kind to them. It it gives them the opportunity to value what this form means for them in their life and also value their health care provider who's working real hard to try and do it. Okay, I'm going to keep going with some of my other frames and then I'm going to check back in on the chat, but you guys keep chatting because I'm really enjoying this. Oh my gosh, it's already 8.36. Time flies. Okay. I want to get through this. Um. Oh, hello. This form. Okay. This story I have right now is literally what we're talking about. How can I partner with my patient to get this form done? How can we, and that not being sort of predatory or bad, but actually being quite a compassionate equitable, empowering thing to do, right? Um, with the right patients. Um, the Another thing is that forms fall in the same category as everything else in your inbox, which is timely, not urgent. I repeat this to myself. Almost nothing we do in family medicine is actually urgent. In fact, the things that are urgent are the things we call 911 for. That's what's beautiful about outpatient family medicine. Yes, we are doing our best to, to complete things on a timely fashion. But if our heart rate is spiking about any tasks we do in healthcare, it's either an inhuman story or we need to call 911. <laughs> They're bleeding out in front of us. This is urgent, 911, get them out of here. But if we're thinking a form is urgent, it's just not urgent in that same way. And so we can say timely, not urgent. We will get to it when it's its turn. And it's not urgent before then, even if the patient feels otherwise, we can like hold space and, and hear them and saying, I hear your distress and this is going to get done when it gets done. And that's actually quite a compassionate boundary to hold. Um, and then deciding when you're going to done and getting it done as quickly as possible. So scheduling time, making a date with yourself about each form, whether you're, you're blocking off time in your schedule, either with the patient or otherwise deciding how it's going to get done and then get it done quickly. I think a lot of us sort of just have them hanging around, but we don't know exactly when. Make a date in your calendar for when you're getting John Smith's form done. Sit down, get it done. It's the most efficient way to do it. Takes practice though. Um, if you do have complicated thoughts about form fees, I 
I think really the the key is sort of deciding how you want to do it, liking your reasons for however you go about like charging um, and then especially liking, really liking your reasons and knowing that they're centered in your values and how you want to practice medicine and how you want to honor yourself and your patients as you invite them to pay you for your time um, and your expertise, right? So um, some people, like for me, honestly, like we have the standard rate. I I really do my best to charge for each form. Um, and for me, I think we like in, we do have so many reminders if people don't pay. And at a certain point I write it off and I'm not going to send them to collections. Like that's just for me. Like I don't make it mean anything about me or them. If they don't pay, I just invite everyone to pay. I have a certain amount of reminders and I get, and then that's fine. That's so for me, that's kind of how I do it. I've also thought about switching to like a pay what you can. So then we do invite everyone to pay. Here's the standard fee. If that fee is not accessible to you, pay what you can. That's another way that various businesses um, invite people to still exchange money for services, but on a scale that may be um, more fitting considering the, the variety of incomes that our patients may make. So that's another like sliding scale kind of stuff. So there's not a right or wrong one of these, but especially if that's something you kind of get hung up with deciding what you want your approach to be and liking your reasons for it so that you can kind of ease it. The last one to, th to notice is if you're feeling resentful because your patients get time off and you don't, the solution isn't necessarily to make it harder for the patients to get time off, which we often can do subconsciously when we're really resentful, but how about we book our own vacations? How about we book our own time off? How about we actually shift our schedules to where we actually can feel sustainable in our work. And I know there's a million reasons and a million inhuman stories and a million points of pressure for why we don't do that. And yet it is available for us to try because we are the precious resource in the system. Our brains and our bodies are this precious resource of caring for others. So prioritizing our own rest and pleasure is good patient care. So those were some of those stories in terms of like embodying the possibilities. This is sort of a point of care assessment. I try and think through these questions. As soon as I see a form, like I'm doing my inbox and I see a new form has popped up, I ask myself these questions, I make the decisions about them, and then I move on. Lots of times I ask myself these questions and I'm able to actually just complete this, the form right there on the spot. Um, and then if you're not sure what your answers to some of those be would be, here are some of like the experiments that I've tried. And so you could take choose one little tiny experiment and try it in your practice of what would it feel like if I did, if I asked the patient to complete things instead of me. And it doesn't have to be the ultimate policy of all time. You can just try it as an experiment for a week and see if you feel better, right? Sometimes we have to think we have to decide the right way and then we never actually make any change conduct little experiments, see if it feels better or worse, see what some of the barriers are and see if that's a practice you'd like to continue or not, right? So speaking of tiny experiments, I do want to see what other people have said in the chat because we've had a couple more things. So Kevin's saying chasing payments after completing forms is a nuisance, um, often wait for payment before completing forms, Ah, especially when they're requested by insurance companies or lawyers, that when they need the form, they're more motivated to pay insurance companies prepayment is required. I've never even thought about doing that. And that is amazing. Thank you, Kevin. And Shannon does this too. 
and so yeah especially when it's like you know it's an organization like literally like they have a whole finance department that's job is is to send the money back that could be a way so you could not make your date with yourself to complete a form until you you are notified that you've received the payment and then it'll feel you it's sort of you resource yourself up front be like yes i got the dollars for this okay now i'm going to complete the form and it'll be a lot quicker because you won't have that resistance of like ah right Okay, Kevin, the forms themselves can be stressful. Uh, quite often, generic forms are used that have questions that are totally irrelevant to the situation. Totally. Yes. Oh, and then some of them are inappropriate, like an employer asking for diagnoses. And then that is tricky. And I then you're having to use a bit of your discernment. For ones like that, I, I am just, you know, when the employers have the ones where you're like, take, state the general nature of the diagnosis. I used to get all twisted about that. And now I'm just like as vague as possible. Like I basically will always say physical or cognitive. <laughs> That's what I put in the general nature of the form. And then later on, when they ask like what treatments they're on, which would clearly reveal the diagnosis, what I've been writing is I will not reveal any treatments as patients on because it would reveal the medical diagnosis, which is confidential information. So just to say that, and that feels good to me, that helps, that nourishes me. That's like an advocacy moment that I'm like loving doing. Like I actually like getting a little spicy in my forms just to be like, hey, you're asking for something you're not allowed to ask for. So I'm just going to tell you that. And I haven't had anyone, they still get approved. So just FYI, sometimes we can get a little spicy in our forms and it's useful. Sometimes patients just think that healthcare is free and doctors get paid too much totally. And so the thing I think about anyone else's thoughts that they have in their brain is that I am not responsible for those thoughts and I don't have to think those thoughts about myself. So they can feel free to continue to think those thoughts in their brain. And I, in my brain can know that I have good reasons aligned with my values for asking for payment for things. And if I am internally, I'm like, ah, I'm not sure that's where it's useful to get clear for yourself. How do I want patients to pay? Are there ones I don't want? Do I want to do sliding scale or do I want to just charge everyone and feel good about it? That's sort of that internal work because like some people think the earth is flat. You know what I mean? So people are going to think all sorts of wild things out there about everyone, including us. We don't have to internalize those. We can practice having beliefs about ourselves that we love and believe in, you know? Oh, I love that. So yeah, Kevin's saying like, saying physical or cognitive is revealing. How about just stating medical? I love that. I think I'm going to start doing that because it's none of their business. When they're the employer, they're not supposed to ask that information. That's private. Then they can like discriminate based on it. So it's a no. So just like medical. <laughs> That's genius, Kevin. I love that. Um, finding a compassionate way to collect form fees that generate significant income, which helps reduce our burnout risk. Yes. So that's like I think people think if you do pay what you can, you'll you'll actually earn way less. But they like in other businesses, they have these sorts of models and they still find that and if anything, they collect more income and they don't have to pay staff to like be as strict because people are more willing to pay if they can just pay what they can. So it's something to explore, Anne-Marie. I haven't done it myself yet because, you know, processes for change in an office, you want to do at a time that is supportive of the office, but I've really considered it. So if anyone has done that, please let me know. Okay, we are out of time because obviously we could talk about forms forever, right? Uh, so I will pause there. I just want to share some of these other tiny experiments that I've tried. A lot of them I already talked about. Um, I really like see copy of chart or see attached letter where I kind of write out the um, 
bullet point narratives of the key points that the form is asking. But I just say see attached letter. That way, when later they're like, uh, you forgot something, or if you have to repeat the same form next month, um, I don't have to rewrite everything. I don't want to rewrite the same thing multiple times on a form. And so if it's in typed form, I can just like change the date and, and update a few things and I don't have to rewrite the whole thing. So I'm, I'm really going away from doing too much handwriting, especially if I get the sense based on the condition, I'm going to be completing this form multiple times. It's going to be typed so that I can copy paste. Okay. And just see what happens if you challenge yourself to just report the news, give yourself 10 minutes max set a timer and say, I'm reporting the news. I'm reporting the news. What are the things I know and don't know? What if I don't have to judge anything I'm putting on this form? I just try and get it on the paper. You will be shocked at how quickly you can complete forms in that case. Okay. Yes. And so that's what I'm inviting you to do. Well, thank you so much for all being here. And um, yeah, I, uh, oop, one more chat thing, just sort of peek. You're welcome, Kevin. It's so good to see you guys. And I, I loved all the chat participation. I feel like I got some more ideas. I definitely, my next experiment is the thing where they print out the two and have the patient, especially for disability tax credit, have them completed out complete first. I think that's so genius. And that's the one I want to try next. I think that's wonderful. So thank you for that. I wanted to remind you that there's some other ways you can learn from me that are outside of gems. And so if you like podcasts, I have a podcast, I have a website, I have, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and other places. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to say, um, I'm going to put it in the summary as well, but, um, I've been thinking a lot about this series that I've been running gem series and thinking of prioritizing rest and pleasure and what I want to do for the rest of this year. And so I have actually made the decision that at the end of June, like after the last scheduled session, I am going to put gems on a permanent hiatus, aka I'm not planning to restart gem sessions in September. So possibly breaking bad news at the end of this. Um, I thought a lot about it and it's what I kind of need for my life and my schedule. I am still planning on keeping the website up so people can watch the replays. Um, and I am still thinking I'm going to do something like maybe like a conference or I don't know. I want to leave space for new ideas to come in and the pace of doing these every week and every other week I need to clear space in my schedule. So if you've been really wanting to come to a gem session live, you're watching this and you're like, I really want to come to a session live. The next three sessions are the last three sessions before it comes to a close. Um, so I wanted to let you know ahead of time so that if anyone does want to come to one live, you have three more opportunities to do so. The next one being in two weeks. I also just want to say like a deep thank you to everyone. I see people on who have participated as in they were speakers on gem sessions as well as some of you come back like every single week and are here live those that you watch later I just want to like extend so much deep love and gratitude to all of you for participating and making gems a thing with me um and that it's been such a joy to do this series there are a few more sessions left so this is maybe a bit premature to be like doing a closing speech, but I just wanted, since I'm the speaker, I wanted to like share it this time. Um, yeah. So with that, thank you all. I hope that something that I shared today will help make forms a teeny bit easier for you. And I love getting emails about this. So if you're like, try something and it works or totally doesn't work, please email me. I would love to know what was helpful for you. Okay. All right. So good. 
Take care, everybody. I hope everyone has a great week. Bye. Hey there, healthcare humans. I want to invite you to sign up for my course, How to Stop Worrying About Your Patients. It's a free five-day email course delivered right to your inbox where I teach you why worrying is optional, that it's not actually helpful for your patients, and that it's possible to reclaim your brain from worry and start enjoying your life in and outside of medicine. Go to joanchanmd.com course to sign up now. I'll see you in your inbox.